We are recording. Okay. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Demchak with Stephen Trinkwald, my good buddy, my friend. We are continuing our 2021 season outlooks, our little team individual outlooks, going along with the Seattle Storm. The WNBA champion Seattle Storm, second time in three years. The Storm, they went 18-4. and They tied for the best record in the league, but of course got the second seed in the playoffs. They were the best team by net rating in the WNBA. They posted a 15 net rating, which was pretty outstanding. Uh, They were the best offense in the league at 108.3 points per 100 possessions and the best defense in the league at 93.3 points allowed per 100 possessions. They, of course, got the coveted double by before sweeping the Lynx in a pretty tough second round sweep and sweeping the Vegas Aces in the WNBA Finals, becoming the first team since the 2013 Lynx to make it through the playoffs without losing a game. So they were pretty good, Eric. Yeah, that everything you just said pretty much says it all, honestly. I think we headed into the 2020 season kind of expecting the Storm to win it all. Like, it just seemed kind of inevitable, you know, especially in a season in which a lot of the other teams that would otherwise be contenders were not really at full strength, you know, like uh, Vegas or, or Washington or maybe even L.A. Um, Seattle had pretty much – they're pretty much at full strength there, uh, Sands, their head coach, Dan Hughes. But, um, I mean, first in both offense and defense pretty much sums it up. Uh, and like in particular, like I think the defense was just ridiculously good. It, it seemed to me like they were playing with they were playing six on five on defense almost, just because of how much havoc they created. Yeah, they're able to play with such aggression on defense and still like recover and, and not really ever. It seemed like give up easy opportunities from being over aggressive. And yeah, I think it, they they really did stand out a little bit more defensively than offensively. And I think in the coming years, like we're gonna look back at this like the starting five as, you know, one of the great balanced lineups of recent history. Um, You know, the offense wasn't quite as ridiculous compared to like league average as last year's Mystics team. But, you know, the, the two great guards that they have in the backcourt who can both, you know, finish plays at an elite level uh, can create obviously super, you know, one of the best point guards, but Jewel Lloyd took uh, a leap in her playmaking, you know, to have two front court players who can, defend on the perimeter and defend at the rim. Um, and then of course, you know, one of the best fifth players in terms of, you know, what, what she brought to the the team in terms of elite shooting, elite switchability on defense and Alicia Clark, like this is one of those teams I think that we're just going to look back on in 10 years and like, remember that, you know, those two years where we were able to get those five players together at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I didn't even think of it that way, but um, of course, that core has been somewhat broken up by now after the events of, of uh, this past free agency period. But yeah, it, it really was a, a pleasure to watch them play. And, you know, honestly, I, I'm not even sure if the net rating really does their dominance justice because you saw so many games in which, like, they were up by so many points. They just, like, rested their starters for, like, the entire fourth quarter. That one game against New York when they were up by how many points? It was a lot. You know which one I'm talking about, right? You know, the game was, like, over after of the first quarter. It was... It was it was an amazing basketball team, the Seattle Storm. What what do you want to say about them that we haven't so, like really already said? Yeah, we'll just go into kind of some of the what made them so good in terms of the the numbers. They were one of the four best teams in terms of protecting the ball and and not turning it over. I think that might be a little bit of a surprise considering just you know how much the 
their point guards handled the ball. You know, um, Jordan Canada in particular was like a really high assist player, and sometimes that can come with a lot of turnovers. They were third in proportion of shots that came at the rim, third in overall effective field goal percentage. They were number one in half court offense overall. You know, number one in spot of efficiency, no surprise there. Number two in catch and shoot efficiency. Number one in efficiency on jump shots off the dribble. They were number two in efficiency around the rim in the half court. Like they were just uh, a team full of great play finishers and they're, you know, the, the ball just continued to ping like we saw uh, a couple years ago in 2018 where- They're unselfish. You know, yeah, they, they often pass, like, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but they would pretty frequently turn down good shots, decent shots for great shots. Uh, and I think, you know, that really stuck out with, with their exceptional offensive rating. And then defensively, they were just a force. They were number one in steal rate, number two in block rate, just making a ton of defensive plays out there. Obviously, that hyper-aggressive system when you have a Brianna Stewart and a Natasha Howard and an Alicia Clark as front court players to be able to just trap everything, to be able to, you know, recover when you're getting way out, you know, 28 feet from the basket and not really miss a beat in terms of defending the rim. And to be able to play that aggressively and still be second best in opponents free throw attempt rate like they you know you would think when you're blitzing that much when you're playing such such a hyper aggressive scheme like you're going to end up putting opponents at the fall line and that wasn't really the case but you know something that we should have mentioned when we did the vegas episode is just how dominant vegas was defensively at not putting their opponents at the fall line like seattle was number two in opponents free throw attempt rate and they were they were just as close to the ninth ranked Mercury as they were to the number one aces. Um, so, you know, just some perspective there. But uh, Seattle, they tied for the second lowest proportion of shots allowed at the rim. No surprise they're playing with a bunch of really outstanding defensive bigs with a lot of great length and mobility for the most part. They were third highest in three-point attempt rate allowed, uh, and they quote-unquote allowed the lowest three-point field goal percentage in the league, you know, for whatever that's So they got lucky, basically. There was a little (laughs) bit of luck in there. They were the second worst defensive rebounding team in the league. And I think maybe, you know, if some other teams were at full strength, that could have been exploited in a playoff matchup, but it wasn't. And Seattle uh, is the champion. You know, to that last point, Stephen, I'm I'm wondering, do you think there's like a, a correlation between aggressiveness on defense and defensive rebounding rate? I think there might be. I think this is, you know, I think this is just kind of a team that wasn't really built to be a defensive powerhouse. You know what I mean? Like Natasha Howard is a little bit of an undersized five and she wasn't really playing a a ton of minutes anyway. Okay. But there's definitely something to that because your bigs are just further out on the floor on a lot of these instances. And, you know, you have kind of one big towards the paint rather than two. So um, that's interesting. It's not something I considered, but I think there might be something to that. Just a thought. And the other thing I wanted to to say before we kind of get into individual performances here is that I, I read a tweet the other day from uh, Pivot Analysis, a Twitter account that goes into statistics and stuff like that, talking about rim protection, that a uh, maybe something that is not considered a benefit of really strong rim protection that isn't considered as much as, you know, just block shots or field goal uh, or a percentage of field goals attempted at the rim is uh, free throw attempts because most free throw attempts come on fouls committed at or near the rim. And if you're deterring shots from being taken at or near the rim, then you're going to be allowing fewer free throws. Yeah, that's a great point. If you're allowing less dribble penetration to where help has to come over as well, then, you know, your defense isn't out of position as much and that the timing won't be late to commit those fouls at the rim. 
yeah. So, okay. Um, just wanted to say those, throw those uh, tidbits out there, but um, getting into individual performances, uh, we got to start with Brianna Stewart, right? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think that there was, but fairly, um, but there was some skepticism around her effectiveness. Obviously she tore her Achilles uh, playing overseas in the off season before the 2019 season and then did not play in the WNBA in 2019. So, you know, for all that you had mentioned before that it was kind of a foregone conclusion that we would see the same, like that this team would be the champions essentially. You know, I think some people still had a little bit of skepticism because that is a really scary injury and and Brianna Stewart almost immediately just like put those doubts to to bed. Yeah, it was... It was really special watching her play, just considering the, uh, the injury, the, the magnitude of that injury she suffered, and just how amazing she looked right away. I, I think I might have been one of the people who was a little, you know, tepid about her, her coming back immediately, but if she did show any rust, it was to be expected, and it didn't really last for very long. I mean, she really did come back and reassert herself as one of the best players in the world, almost right off the bat. Yeah, and I think she lost a little bit of momentum late in the season, but it seemed like at least in the first couple of weeks of the season, she was like the early favorite for defensive player of the year, uh, as well as perhaps MVP. But, you know, she just as early as I think the opening game against the Liberty, like she was everywhere defensively yeah. um, playing out on the perimeter, like protecting the rim with verticality uh, offensively, you know, the, the entire body of work, it wasn't quite, you know, what we saw from her in her 2018 MVP season, you know, her efficiency was down a little bit, both from two and from three. Um, she actually shot a career low, 49% from two. Her turnovers were up a little bit. She was taking more long twos, less shots around the rim, an increase of dribble jump shots, uh, which are always, you know, not that efficient of a shot. She was 17% of her possessions in her MVP season. That went up to 22% last year. So it wasn't like peak Brianna Stewart, but it was still, you know, the best player in the league, essentially, in in my opinion, at least. Would, would you say... Um... The forty-nine, the career low, forty-nine percent from two. Would you say um, the amount of dribble jumpers and, and long twos has something to do with that? I would, yeah. I mean, she shot like a decent percentage from long two, but those are still just going to drive down your efficiency sure. overall. And the dribble jumpers, I think, it's not the best part of her game. You know, <laughs> she's still better than a lot of people at doing that, but you know, it's pretty much the worst option you can have Brianna Stewart doing with the basketball, given all she's good at with everything mm-hmm. else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think a lot of that efficiency which we can get to a little bit later came from uh you know that dip in efficiency came from playing heavy minutes with jordan canada instead of uh sue bird but still overall like an amazing season from stewart i think she was maybe as good defensively as we had ever seen even if the offensive efficiency wasn't quite the level we had seen previously yeah she was incredible in defense you know it kind of makes me wonder like why she didn't get more high you know towards the end of the season every every team had to kind of latch onto one player who they were going to relentlessly pound forward for award consideration. And the storm, it was Alicia Clark, who is, don't get me wrong. She's an amazing defensive player. We, we both love her on this podcast, but I don't know. Like I think Brianna Stewart as a, as a big, it was a little more valuable defensively to that team as was Natasha Howard. But you know, I mean, I mean, Brianna Stewart is Brianna Stewart. She's now that she's, now that she's shown this, it's pretty clear that she's just going to be, as long as she stays healthy, she's going to be, in the running for like defensive player of the year, MVP, like all WNBA, all these, all these awards, like every year. I mean, she's just incredible. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see as we'll get to like what exactly her role is going to be in terms of, you know, what, what position is she going to defend primarily? Is she going to play more on the perimeter um, this year? But let's get to Jewel Lloyd, who 
you know, was outstanding last year. Like what a bounce back season for Drew Lloyd, a, a down 2019 as she dealt with some injuries. And we talked a lot about her on her wings ranking earlier in the off season where I had her number two on, on my list for wings in the league, but she put up a career high in true shooting 583 true shooting 39% from three, 47% from two, the best free throw attempt rate of her career, or maybe second best after her rookie season. And I think the leap really came for her. I mean, offensively, there's a lot to talk about as well, but defensively, definitely the best I had ever seen Julio played on that end of the floor. I agree with that. And, and I also, and this is something we talked about uh, throughout the season, if I recall correctly, I think Julio is just better suited to being second banana on this team. And that's, which is perfectly fine because she is a really, really good play finisher still. Um, and it just seemed like the game slowed down for her a lot. You know, it seemed like she was making better decisions with the ball. I think her shot selection was better and she just stuck to what she was really good at for the most part, which is, I mean, she can rise and fire over defenders with the best of them, but you said like getting to the rim, there aren't many players who can get to the rim and finish like Jewel Lloyd can. So the free throw rate being up there was awesome. Um, you have in the notes, she cut down on the long twos, which is nice. And, you know, it, it just seemed like she was, uh, she was at full strength. I don't know if she was hurting the, the, the pri- uh, previous season or if she is just not a player who can sustain that high of usage. But, um, yeah, Jewel was really good. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, she was dealing with some injuries in 2019, but I think even a full, fully healthy Jewel Lloyd, like that's not really the role for her where, you know, you're going to be the every down creator. But when you can play next to Sue Bird as the point guard and then Brianna Stewart as, you know, the best player in the world, like – that's that's yeah and she (laughs) she really excelled she jumped up from 18th percentile as a pick and roll scorer in that 2019 season without those two players to 88th percentile in 2020 she was 97th percentile in spot ups as well so 88th percentile as a pick and roll scorer and then 97th percentile in spot ups that's like you know Christy Tolliver type levels of being effective without the ball and with the ball in her hands so she was awesome she was you know able to do pretty much everything she was asked her jumper off the dribble game like that was the one spot I think offensively that like really you know we saw something that we hadn't seen in previous years where she was able to kind of can those uh, dribble jumpers from three uh, in the pick and roll you know it wasn't so much relied relying on mid-rangers and getting to the rim like she was able to hit those dribble jumpers from three as well so you know she's she's not a creator for others necessarily, but she's, you know, a tertiary creator. Like she can, she can do a little bit passing the ball and in the role that she was asked to do, like, I don't think there would be many players that would have done it better than Jewel Lloyd did last year. Do you think she could replicate that efficiency? I think she can. If she was in the same, you know, in in the same ecosystem, like I don't see why, you know, maybe in this ecosystem, she won't because there aren't as many good players around her uh, potentially, but I, I would expect another really solid year from Jewel Lloyd. I'm just, I'm just asking that question because, yes, while Seattle's personnel does look different and probably not as strong as it did last year, um, like, Jewel Lloyd is, is in her prime now. It, it's, it's entirely possible that she just got better, too, you know? So Yeah, sure. I, so, I think, like I said, I think the game has slowed down for her. But we'll see. She's going to have more on her shoulders uh, entering 2021. So, I think she's got it in her. You know, she's got that extra gear still. So, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, definitely, like you said, playing alongside Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird. Um, really takes both the the primary play finishing and the primary play making burden off of her shoulders, but she's still going to have to do a lot. Cause you know, Sue Bird, she's, she's going to be probably on the load management plan this year. Um, and Stuart can't do everything. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to seeing what Jewel Lloyd can do in particular, because I, I think she's got um, still even more left in her. 
So let's move on to Jordan Canada, who, you know, started half the games as Sue Bird, as you mentioned. We'll probably miss time again this year and, and missed some games last year. She was fifth in total assists uh, for, you know, someone that's a backup half the season. I think that was pretty impressive. You know, she got up to 500 true shooting, which isn't terrible, but also is not very good. And I think the big uh, thing to note is that, you know, she had gone from being a poor three-point shooter to not really taking them at all. She just removed that from her game entirely. I, I think it's important to kind of discuss, like, is that, like, can they be a good offense if she, if that just never comes around? Yeah, I think they can be a good offense, but you have to have shooters like everywhere else, right? Yeah, which maybe they will, maybe they won't, depending on the lineups mm-hmm. they they throw out there. For Canada, she was 28th percentile in the half court in her own offense, but 94th percentile when you include her passing. So she's definitely a plus playmaking for others. She was third overall in the league in assist percentage, as well as posting a, a two and a half assist to turnover ratio. So that's that's really, really solid, right? She, for as quick as she plays for as much as she's kind of slinging the ball around the court she doesn't really turn the ball over too too much you know she's not killing you with turnovers like a lot of similar point guards could you know what I mean and the thing that's that you have to bring up is that the team couldn't really score with Jordan Canada out there last year and lineups with other really great players couldn't really score with Jordan Canada out there the four other starters Lloyd Stewart Clark Howard with Sue Bird, that lineup had a 112 offensive rating. And with Jordan Canada, that lineup had a 96 offensive rating. So that's crazy. You know, that, that's not nothing, right? No, it's not nothing at all. And, and I'm a little disappointed in that figure, to be honest, because even if Jordan Canada is not shooting threes, it's like you still have so many other really, really good offensive players out there. Um, but it just goes to show like how one more player who is respectable from behind the arc or, or one more player who like this isn't a this isn't a knock on Jordan Canada's game, but like if you compare her her distribution the distribution part of her game to Sue Bird's, it's like yes, Jordan Canada Canada is a dynamic playmaker, but Sue Bird has just has that extra level of, of basketball IQ. Like she know she knows where the ball needs to go. It's different than just Canada, who is a really gifted you know driving kick type of player, whereas Sue Bird is just the mastermind of, of getting the ball where it needs to go, getting the players where they need to be. You know, so it's. It's really revealing in in what Jordan Canada can do and what Jordan Canada still needs to work on. Yeah, and there are off ball elements of her game that I really like. Like her, I think she is a really great cutter. But you know, you're going to get maybe two or three of those cuts where you end up getting a basket a game. She's like five six. Yeah, as as opposed to all the times where she's and this is an offense with a lot of really good other players. So Jordan Canada isn't going to be the engine of the offense necessarily. So when she doesn't have the ball, the floor just shrinks a lot. So the the raw offensive numbers are pretty good. Like assists are, are really high. Um, but I think it's telling in, in a bad way. And we'll have to see kind of how it develops over the next couple of years as Sue Bird, you know, maybe this is her last year. Maybe she has a couple more in her, but you know, what those lineups look like if they're able to be plus offensive lineups, you know, with all the other good players that that this team has and Jordan Canada rather than Sue Bird. And yeah, I think there is something to your point where a lot of Canada's value add as a passer is just being able to just blow by her defender, her athleticism, uh, both in the half court and in the open court. But, you know, obviously Sue Bird is considered one of the great point guards of all all time for a reason, right? It's it's a little bit of sure. a different thing there. So let's uh, let's talk about how this team is going to look different. Uh, a lot of roster turnover. Normally we, we start with the rivals, but let's start with the departures because this is a specific situation. They lost Natasha Howard, Alicia Clark, and Sammy Whitcomb all in free agency. 
Morgan Tuck and Crystal Langhorn retired to kind of supplement those roster spots um, while still keeping flexibility pretty open for uh, this coming off season where Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart will be free agents. They brought in, they traded the number one pick for Katie Lou Samuelson. They signed Candice Dupree to a one year, pretty lucrative contract. They traded Phoenix's first round pick next year for Makia Herbert Harrigan. They traded their own first round pick on draft night this season for Kennedy Burke. And they also brought in Steph Talbot or the rights to Steph Talbot in the Natasha Howard trade. They eventually signed her to a training camp contract uh, in the second round on draft night, drafted Keanu Williams and India Jones. I think those will be the two that are kind of seriously competing for a roster spot. 2020 first round pick Katia Laxa will also be coming over for her rookie season. I think there's some speculation whether or not she'll make the team, which we will get into. So that's a lot. <laughs> um, especially for a team coming off two championships in three years. I think um, like uh, Howard and Clark, uh, those are obviously the two big ones because those are the two players who really made this defense what it was. Um, not just, and I don't, I don't just mean they made the defense as good as it was. I mean, they made the defense one that could be as aggressive as it was and as intelligently aggressive. Cause you know, Alicia Clark, one of the highest basketball IQs in the league, She's not going to, you know, be committing those needless fouls out there. And Natasha Howard, of course, best defensive players all around in the WNBA. And they lost both of them. So how do the Storm retain an elite defense after that? Yeah, and one more thing about Clark. Just her, her versatility defensively where she can guard the best wings in the league or you can, you know, if the other team has a wing that maybe – is someone you don't need to worry about as much. You can put her on the opposing point guard and pretty much anyone she's going to guard, she's going to make that extremely tough for that person, whether that's a starting point guard or a starting small forward. So I was going to kind of save this for later in the show, but like, what do you think they will be better at offense or defense? Because they have some lineups that look like they could be pretty good offensively. They have some lineup combinations that seem like they'll probably play some decent minutes together, but might not be very good offensively and, and could have some trouble scoring the ball. So mm-hmm. if you had to guess like which they would rank higher in, do you think they would be like higher in offense or defense? Um, I, I see where you're, I see where you're coming from uh, on, on lineup possibility and stuff. I'm going to say offense for now, because looking at what they still have bird Lloyd and Stewart, that's their core. Those are all three really, really good offensive players. Stewart and Lloyd, good defensive players as well bird um maybe not so much but then and then looking at the rest of the roster i mean uh, i I just think it'd be easier relative to last season it'd be easier to retain their offensive uh, capabilities because so much of what made their offense good is still there rather than their defensive capabilities because so much of what made their defense good is no longer there especially because like playing in a scheme like like the storm play on defense it takes time it takes time to to learn rotations and, and and communicate and establish chemistry on that end of the court. So, and then and then looking at what they're going to be bringing in at center instead of Howard. I mean, there's just there's just not as much mobility there, and that's I think what would really be a problem. So, what what do you think this? Before we kind of get into like positional battles, um, maybe I just I, I I'm having a hard time kind of gauging what this is even going to look like for this team. Like, what is this team's starting five going to be? Uh, I mean, I think Bird, Lloyd, Stewart, and maybe Mercedes Russell at center because she 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 did start at center in uh, what was it 2019? Yeah, 2019 when when Stewart was was sitting out to recover from her injury. I, I mean, I don't see why why she wouldn't start 
at center there because I, I think she's earned it. But it's small forward. I mean, that's totally up in the air, man. They did trade that number one overall pick for Katie Lou Samuelson, so we assume they're going to have a lot invested in her. But they also traded for Kennedy Burke, who is like the polar opposite of Katie Lou Samuelson as far as game is concerned. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it depends on like, do you want an extra floor spacer out there or do you want a player who you can stick on uh, the, the opposing team's best perimeter scorer? Okay. I was like maybe thinking that this team would start Stewart at center and have Candace Dupree be the starting power forward, okay. but uh, maybe I just am off there and, you know, Dupree is kind of, you know, she obviously has more standing in the league and, and stuff like that and has played a ton of minutes the last few years. So maybe she is just ready for more of a bench role. Uh, and obviously, as we talked about before, this is like the best team she's going to have played on in quite some time. Do you think that's a, a, a plausible possibility for this team? Or do you think they will kind of start with the true center uh, with Mercedes Russell starting? That's a good question. I would go with the true center because I, for as much respect as I have for Candice Dupree's game, I don't know how she fits in what the Storm want to do on defense. You know, when, when, you, when you think about this team, because I mean, Mercedes Russell isn't that mobile either, but she can at least defend their rim with verticality. You know, if, if it's Dupree out there, I don't know how, how much of a defensive playmaker she can still be at this point in her career. Offensively, I think the fit is going to be good. We, we talked about this um, a, a while ago when, the, when they first made all these moves. But uh, I, I think Dupree is, is, is ready to accept a role where she's just coming off the bench. And she's, and she's a player who I think can fit in just about any offensive scheme. But defense... Uh, because she's just going to do what she does. She's going to do... I mean, she's, she's so good at moving without the basketball. She's a very, very, very intelligent offensive player. And she can still finish at the rim very well for a player of her size. But defensively, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing it. I, I think they're going to start Stewart and Russell. Okay. And so what, what the rest of that roster kind of looks like, I imagine, you know, they have a decent amount of locks. You know, I would say they probably have 10 locks on this team. Bird, Canada, Lloyd, you know, they traded the number one pick for Katie Lou Samuelson. They're probably not going to cut her after doing yeah. that. Brianna Stewart, Candice Dupree, Ezzie Magbegor, Mercedes Russell. Like, I think all those players are surefire things to make the team but then they also traded first round picks for Makia Herbert Harrigan and Kennedy Burke so I think things would have to go really poorly for those two players to not make the team right I agree I agree especially because like they just traded for him so a a player like Laxa who you know like it's I don't want to say it's a distant memory already but I mean hey it's you you can't sit around waiting for players to fully recover from their injury and we can talk about that I'll, I'll talk about that later but they also invested a first round pick in her but the reason why they drafted her with the first round pick was because they knew she wasn't going to be playing that season and they literally could not afford to roster a, uh, another player. So it was a little circumstantial. And whereas I feel like uh, Herbert Harrigan and Berg and, and maybe Tablet to a lesser extent, they were acquired in order to play on this roster. Yeah, that's a great point. That's great context. And I think that really matters when you're kind of thinking about how the rest of this team will shake out. So that kind of gives you like five players kind of fighting for the last two spots mm-hmm. in Talbot, Epiphany Prince, uh, Williams, Laxa, and Jones. So I imagine only one, if any of the rookies are, are going to make it. Uh, I'm sorry, like rookies from the 2021 draft class, like Laxa not included. I imagine as well that only one of Keanu Williams or Epiphany Prince will make it. So with that being said, like with Talbot and Laxa kind of on the bubble of this roster, like we should probably get into that small forward discussion like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most interesting positional battle in the league right now, in my opinion, like going into training camp, going into preseason, like who 
I mean, obviously, Katie Lou Samuelson is probably going to have the upper hand there because they invested the most, uh, the, the highest staked draft pick in Katie Lou Samuelson. And, you know, as we had been discussing, they traded three first round picks this offseason to address this position, which seems like a lot, but they also, you know, want to kind of balance competing now with keeping their books relatively clean in the offseason uh, with their two, you know, young stars coming up for free agency. So, Let's kind of get into the specifics of, you know, Katie Lou Samuelson versus Herbert Harrigan versus Talbot versus Burke versus Laxa to some extent. Who I, I'm not going to really have too much to weigh in on Laxa because I'm not too familiar with your game, quite frankly. But, you know, all of those options in terms of the, the Samuelson, Herbert Harrigan, Talbot, Burke, all of those options except Talbot can, you know, maybe shift and give you some minutes at the four as well, which, you know, might be kind of valuable. Herbert Harrigan, she she shot pretty well from three her rookie year, 42%. Uh, 40% of her shots were from three. But despite that, you know, she was still well below league average in efficiency because she shot under 33% from two-point range. I, I'm not 100% sure that like small forward is really Makia Herbert-Harrigan's position of the future, but maybe for this team and as, you know, she's still kind of young in her career and, you know, she does have great positional size. Uh, I, I think they kind of brought her in to be a three. Do you think she plays any four on this team? I don't see why not. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's... That's that's one of the reasons why the Dupree signing, I was kind of like, well, okay. Like, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me because they already have a lot of depth in the front court. And there's not a lot of room to, you know, you know jockey at least Dupree around. Although I believe, did Dan, didn't Dan Hughes say something about we're going to try Dupree at the three? I forget. It, I it was something it was Stewart like at the three. Maybe it was, maybe it was Stewart. So, somebody might be playing out of position. But I think Herbert Harrigan can at least, she's at least got like the foot speed. And, 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 the, and the recovery ability. I mean, she's a really good athlete. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, and her three-point shot is, I think, maybe a little better than, than people realize because that wasn't a shot that she was really encouraged to take in college until, like, her senior season. So it's developing, but I wouldn't be surprised to see her play the three. And that, could, that may very well be why they acquired her, you know? Just another player who could defend both the three and the four positions while giving you some athleticism. Maybe... Maybe the two-point shooting was a little bit of a – I mean, it was a struggle, but I don't think she's that bad of a two-point shooter. I, I'd be willing to give her another another year before, you know, you know, saying, hey, this this player needs to be just a, just a three-point shooter. Yeah, I think it's going to really come down to kind of how she fits into this hyper-aggressive defense. And yeah. you seem to have a lot of confidence in her, you know, athleticism as a fit, which is good. And then obviously she has the – the size and length to disrupt in the perimeter. So, I well, think that- you know, it, the athleticism and size is one thing, but as, as you mentioned, like there's the other thing about defending aggressive without following, as we said. Yeah, that's a great point. So um, it's something she's going to have to get used to. And she'll have to, you know, probably increase the three point volume a little bit. She'll, she'll definitely have to <laughs> increase her two point finishing. Um, you know, she can't turn it over twice as much as she assists like she did in her rookie season so you know I I think there's an opportunity for her here well I guess we'll get to kind of where she falls for us on the the pecking order of these small forwards you know let's get to I guess their coveted uh, acquisition Katie Lou Samuelson you know even with the the three-point shot not really coming around yet in the WNBA like she's probably still the best offensive player of this group right Mm -hmm. without a doubt because I mean, Kayla Sam, she's not just a three-point shooter. I'm not going to say she's like this all-around offensive threat because I'm 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 tempted to to bring up like her performance in EuroLeague recently, which was excellent. But 
as we all know, the game is far different over there, and she's not going to have the success that she did over, you know, playing against European players. But at the same time, I don't. I think she's just a little bit more than a three-point specialist. She does have the size to maybe take advantage of some smaller players down on the block if she gets matched up there. But Samuelson does have the reputation of being a knockdown three-point shooter, and although the numbers haven't been there yet, if you're an opposing defense, are you going to leave Katie Lou Samuelson open in the corner? No. As we talk about so many times, it's not about making the shot. It's about making the opponent respect the shot, especially if you're a complimentary player like Samuelson will be. So, yes, I totally agree she's the best offensive player or she has the highest offensive ceiling, let's put it that way, of this group. Yeah, and I think, you know, even as it stands right now, like I think of these players that we're talking about, she gives you the most off the bounce uh, in terms of attacking closeouts or just even, you know, taking her own defender off the dribble. I think she's the best passer of these options, which, you know, probably isn't saying too much, but, you know, she does give you a little bit there. Uh, She, I think, does, even if it's maybe not warranted, like she gets, she has the most gravity, which is a a made-up thing, of course, but she gets guarded from three, I would say, more aggressively than any of these other options that we're talking about. And, you know, she still only hit 31 uh, and a half percent from three this season, but it can look pretty good at times. Like nice, clean catch and shoot opportunities for Samuelson, I think are are going in at a pretty good rate. And she was over on any type of dribble jumper, so I, I don't expect her to never hit one of those. But maybe she should just kind of remove that from her shot, or she's going to have to really Im- improve at the sidestep shot. Uh, the the clean pick and pop looks looked pretty good, but a- again, anytime she had to like take a dribble or there was a, a little bit of kind of a contest. Um, it was a little bit more choppy for her there. But I do think the three-point shot is opening up her two-point game a little bit. I think she might be the best transition option of any of these players that we talk about. I, I think her floor game overall is probably the best, uh, even though I do like Kennedy Burke, who we'll get to as a cutter. So it's one of those things where like, if Katie Lou Samuelson was as good of a defensive option as as any of these other players then it probably wouldn't even really be a discussion oh yeah and that's what makes this 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 whole uh this whole thing an interesting position battle right because each of these players has very obvious strengths and very obvious weaknesses and they're all kind of it was like no overlap at all that's true there's very little overlap in terms of what each of these players do well uh and let's let's get to you know the next one on the list here the player they traded for on draft night kennedy burke someone who we're both big fans of yeah, so, I like Kennedy Burke. I, you know, I did. I do need to see some uh, some improvement in her game, though. I, I think, first of all, I, I I'm really looking forward to seeing her play defense in this system because yeah. I think it's just a perfect fit. You know, in in, in, in Indiana, it, they were just so conservative on both ends of the floor. Whereas, you know, like you look at a player like Burke, it's like, okay, her, she has enormous wingspan. She's got great anticipation. She's good on the ball, yeah, but off the ball. I mean, if you if you throw it if you throw a pass anywhere in her area, she's gonna He's going to pick it off and go the other way. So um, that sounds like a player. That sounds like a Dan Hughes, Gary Kloppenberg type of player, you know. But offensively, like, it's it's just hasn't been there. Yeah, I agree 100% with what you're saying defensively. I, I really hope she gets a legitimate opportunity to to play in this defensive scheme. And offensively, you know, the three-point shot is kind of just to the point of being acceptable over her first couple years, but I think it's still fair to wonder if it's real. You know, the volume is still really low. She was 29 for 88 over those two years, but the two-point jump shooting has been really bad over those two years. She's still, you know, a borderline poor free throw shooter, like in the low 70s. And I think 
with regards to her three-point shooting, like there's a little bit of like an Amanda Zowie B thing here where like in 2020, 60% of her makes came in three games and then she shot 18% from three in all other games. And then that's crazy. And a similar thing happened in 2019 where she went four for four in one game and then shot 27% in all other games. So we, we got to see it more. She also had a, a four game stretch last season in 2020 where she only took two total threes, which is not very encouraging. You know, even if she's making it, I do think she's the option here that has like the least gravity in terms of like teams are just going to shade that one extra step off Kennedy Burke than any of these other players that we're talking about. Without uh, I think that might matter even like a little bit more than what the actual percentage she hits, especially if she's going a couple games at a time without getting any volume up. Of course. Yeah. But I I do like her as a cutter. And I think that's something that's going to be opened up more with Seattle than, you know, Indiana where you're always playing with a traditional center or two, even maybe two or three players in Indiana who, you know, can't space the floor. So there's not really any room to cut. And Burke, I think it's also worth mentioning that she is the smallest of these options, but I, I don't think she necessarily lacks positional size. They just kind of brought in a bunch of other options with a lot of positional size. Like Katie Lou Samuelson is big for a three. Herbert Harrigan, we were just talking about whether, you know, she should be a three or a four, you know, Steph Talbot's listed at six, two. So this is Kennedy Burke is the high defensive ceiling play here. Mm-hmm maybe the highest defensive ceiling, kind of depending on what you think Herbert Harrigan could be defensively. But I think I like Burke's realistic upside defensively a little bit more than Herbert Harrigan's. Uh, what, what about you? Yeah, I agree. Because Herbert Harrigan, I, I think you're still kind of asking to defend a little bit out of position. Not saying Herbert Harrigan won't be able to do, to do that sometime in the future. But like I said, if, you're, if, if you need a player to throw at the opposing team's top perimeter scorer, like Burke can do that comfortably right away. So then we can move on to... Talbot here, you know, still has pretty good size for a three, as I mentioned, kind of the veteran of this group, like this will be her age 27 season, you know, by far the oldest of any of these players that we're talking about has shown to be a reliable three point shooter for multiple seasons. You know, she's had two of her three seasons were 38% or higher. So a little bit more of a track record, definitely the lowest upside of all these options, right? Like she's someone who can give you just like, you know, 12% usage, Uh, which she has, but she's also the only one that's really been an important part of a really good team, which I think, you know, maybe that means nothing, but maybe it means something for that Phoenix team where she wasn't really asked to do too much. But, you know, when the ball came her way, she would make open shots and be a decent defender for, you know, whatever they kind of needed her to do there. So it's too bad that this was kind of a throw-in training camp contract because it seems like she's just kind of being viewed as the most expendable option and, and kind of an uphill battle for her to make this team. But I think if they wanted to be as good as they could possibly be this year, like she would help them a lot. But some of these other options are, you know, higher upside, long-term plays that, you know, are going to be low cost options over the next couple of years. So maybe it's Talbot who is just going to be the the odd person out. Well, plus they've got the least amount invested in Stephanie Talbot. Yeah. Uh, and then I know you wanted to talk about Loxo, who is a player that I, I, anything that I have to contribute here would be secondhand. Yeah, I mean, Lox, she's not a player that I watch that much either, but uh, I, don't, I don't really watch the American uh, Conference that much. But, like, her first three seasons in South Florida, I mean, she shot nearly – nearly 40, she shot 39.3%, nearly, so nearly 40%, on nearly th- eight three-point attempts per game, which is pretty silly. Unfortunately, she did tear her ACL and meniscus early in her senior season, and it took her a while to come back from that. Like, she did play in EuroLeague in, in 2019 and 2020, but she really struggled with her shot. She played better this EuroLeague season, but because of the uh, condensed 
EuroLeague season, which is only six games regular season, the sample size on her shot was extremely small. And she was on a very bad team in TTT Riga. So I'm not sure how much you can actually draw from those, those statistics. Uh, I think she's on the bubble for this roster. Like, again, she theoretically should be a good fit on this team. But, again, there's, here's the thing about Loxa. She's a good three-point shooter, at least catch and shoot, who is going to struggle to defend anywhere on the perimeter. And they already have a player like that who they just traded the number one overall pick for. So if it comes down to Samuelson versus Loxa for whatever reason, I have to think they're going to take Samuelson just because they're more invested in her. So of these players, I think Loxa and Talbot have the lowest chances of making this roster. Does that sound right? Yeah, but I, I would have to believe that one of them will probably still make the roster. Oh, yeah. One of, oh, yeah. I, I'm saying of the, of the group. Oh, yeah. I, I would agree with that. Okay. All um, right. So of those five players, like how, how do you think you would prioritize them in terms of getting early regular season minutes to kind of see which one of these is really going to be the last piece? That's an interesting question. Removing optics for a second, removing how much you invested in there, I would actually say Makia Herbert-Harrigan because I think she's got the highest overall upside of the group. Granted, like, in the, but that's saying if she can become a dependable three-point shooter and if she can move from the four to the three defensively, because I think that she can. I, I think she has the highest overall upside. Samuelson, I, I, I want to say, because I want to say Samuelson and Burke, you kind of already know what both of those players are. Is that unfair? Well, I, I don't know if you know what Kennedy Burke is as an offensive player. Like, she could just really? be a player who just shoots, like, 29% over her next 100 three-point attempts. But right now, she's shooting at a percentage you think might be passable. You know what I mean? But Oh, I, well, I, I would take the under on that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I might as well. And, you know, Samuelson, I think the opposite is true, where, you know, you might, you might expect her three-point shooting to come up a little bit. Like, she has been a pretty good three-point shooter overseas. So, you know, maybe it's just something where you see how Katie Lou Samuelson fits into the defensive system. And if she's just getting cooked, like she, she falls out of the rotation. But, you know, there's a reason they brought her in for the, the number one overall pick, you know, as mm-hmm. much as we, we may disagree with that. So for those, those last two spots, uh, do you think it's, it's like Prince and Talbot's to lose over Williams, Loxa Jones? See, I think they should seriously consider keeping Keanu Williams instead of Epiphany Prince. And here's why. I mean, I actually have two reasons. One is that I think Keanu Williams, you, you bring her in as like a young player. A lot of us had her, uh, had the storm taking her at number 11. They ended up getting her in the second round. So that's good value for whatever you take. I mean, we, we draft people. We don't, we don't know anything, but she can at least run an offense and she can have some kind of offensive versatility. Whereas, you know, Jordan Canada, she goes one speed the entire time, for better or for worse, you know, mixed results. Kenny Williams is a much more steady player. And you have to start thinking forward, like, okay, you got to think this is going to be Sue Bird's last year or her second to last year or whatever. You know, she doesn't have much time left in the week. What is your next option? You assume Jordan Canada is going to step into the role of starting point guard. Well, then who's your backup point guard going to be? Epiphany Prince probably isn't going to be in the league much longer either, you know? And she's being paid. She's going to be paid almost twice as much as Keanu Williams this season. Um, the Storm, they do have cap room for 12 players, so that's cool. But if Prince is cut in favor of a rookie-scale contract such as Keanu Williams, I believe the Storm would even have enough cap space to bring in a temporary player if a temporary suspension is required. 
I may have done the math incorrectly on that, but it's if it's a temporary suspension, you know, that that opens the roster spot, but it doesn't clear the cap space, they would actually have enough cap space to sign a replacement player too, I think, if they keep Williams over Prince. So it's an interesting uh, battle there too. It's just how high do you think Keanu Williams' upside is? And do you think Epiphany Prince still has enough left in the tank now to help Storm win another championship? And the other thing is, like, do you think if you're going to let go of Epiphany Prince, do you think anyone else on this roster can give you anything at the backup two, which they don't really have any other kind of natural twos? You know, maybe, maybe Bird can kind of be your two next to Jordan Canada, but we're assuming that, you know, you're kind of keeping a guard with the eye on, you know, the Sue Bird maintenance plan. So something to consider as well. Mm-hmm. I know uh, your expectation would be that Candace Dupree comes off the bench this season. I do imagine that Stewart and Dupree will play alongside one another a fair amount. So do you imagine Stewart will get more minutes at the five next to Dupree with an extra wing or perimeter player or at the three with a, a, like a bigger lineup? I think it would be ideally she'd play at the five, but looking what they already have at the five, they have a very capable center in Mercedes Russell and a player in Ezzie Magbiger who is, I mean, everyone just, everyone on that staff just raves about her. And after last season, we can see why. So if, if Stewart is playing the five, the backup five, somebody's not going to play. And I think the, the quotes that I heard, and you know, this, this could just be people talking because in training camp, coaches talk a lot. They've been kind of leaning towards the bigger lineups a little bit. And Stewart, I don't think she's, she'd be that much of a liability at the three, to be honest with you. I think she would be better optimized at the five, but the three wouldn't be a disaster. Yeah, I think, you know, there are not a ton of options at the three league-wide that are really going to, like, kill Stewart off the bounce. Like, Angel McCartry would be a problem. Like, Chicago's options at small forward would be a problem blowing by. Bonner had some success, you know, with Stewart guarding her in the 2018 playoffs. I'm not really sure how much that carries over two years or three years later on this Connecticut team. And, and, you know, they're not going to be good enough for it to matter anyway. <laughs> Whoever Minnesota is throwing out at small forward, you know, they might be a little bit too quick for Stewart. Maybe not. So that is interesting. Like, I, I don't think it's, you know, optimizing your best player. And maybe there's a little bit of like, you know, the Bree Jones, John Quell Jones thing that we talked about before of, you know, you're kind of like sub optimizing your best player to accommodate one of your not best players, whether that's, uh, you know, getting, Russell or, or Ezzy more minutes or um, just making sure that you can kind of play with Candace Dupree. Um, but they did also like, you know, those are two pretty good players that you just mentioned, you know, in their center rotation. But you, when you consider how much they've also invested in the forward battle, I guess, you know, the small forward, all those options that we just talked about. Sure. Yeah. And I do think depending on that lineup, if it's uh, Herbert Harrigan or Kennedy Burke, you know, that maybe allows you to be a little bit more mobile defensively, you know, it'll help your floor spacing a little bit more, I also think it will just maybe those small forward options allow you to just have your best five players on the floor at the same time. You know, those players might be better than Mercedes Russell or, or Ezzie Magbegore, but maybe not. Maybe playing big is, you know, giving you your five best players. So my inclination is usually to kind of smaller with Stewart at the five, I think. And in the regular season, they have shown that they don't really want to put Stewart on, you know, some of the the better centers. Sure. Um you know, whether that's just because they don't want her to get into foul trouble, you know, if they can get away with it and offensively, you know, with Russell there with Bird, Lloyd, Stewart, and, you know, Russell and uh, Dupree or something, you know, maybe you have enough offensively. I, I tend to think maybe that you don't, but 
I guess we'll see. So yeah, I, I, it's something interesting to think about. I, I don't really know which way they're going to go. It feels like they're, they're going to go whatever kind of allows them to maintain the highest level of that defensive intensity and, and defensive aggressiveness. Well, if, if it's maintaining defensive aggressiveness, I don't think Dupree would play at all, you? Well, no, but they brought her in for, for some <laughs> Yeah, reason. yeah, and they're paying her a lot of money, so she'll play. So I guess we can kind of get to strengths and weaknesses and kind of what we expect from this team here. They obviously lost a couple really good three-point shooters in Whitcomb and Clark, but I still expect them to be, you know, one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league with Bird, Lloyd, and Stewart. And then if any of their three-point, I mean, if any of their small forward options can hit their shots, like that should be that should be pretty good, especially if they're playing, you know, more of those Stewart at the five lineups than Stewart at the three lineups. I imagine they're still going to be really good at forcing turnovers, just general defensive aggressiveness, like getting offenses out of what they want to do. Um, one other strength, you know, optionality. We're talking about, you know, should they play Stewart at the three, the four, the five? Like they have a lot of lineups. They have a lot of depth here. They have some really good players, even if not all of them are proven to be high-level WNBA contributors. Like they have a ton of things that they can try here. They can downsize with some more mobile units. They, you know, have a Mercedes Russell to play with Stewart when you're playing against you know, some of the bigger centers and, you know, Russell, we didn't get too much into her, but, you know, I think she's, she's been a really solid defensive center. And, uh, you know, there are certain elements of her offensive game. Maybe I would like to see uh, her remove, but, you know, nevertheless, they have high end top end talent. When you have Sue Bird, Jewel Lloyd, Brianna Stewart, you're probably going to be pretty good no matter what the rest of the roster exactly. looks like. They're going to have 40 minutes of good point guard play. Even if we talked about, you know, how the offense can fall off sometimes with Canada. I have a couple more, but anything you kind of wanted to add in here? I would say passing. Is that one of yours? Yeah, I was like kind of unsure about it. You know, they have Bird, they have Canada, like Lloyd has taken some step forwards. Stewart is a great passing big, like Samuelson, I think can fit in pretty well. But like, can anybody else on the team like pass at all? I, I think it would just be like a collective passing sort of thing rather than yeah one, one person initiating. Because, well, think back to last year. They were a really good team at finding open shots. Is Alicia Clark like, we we love her we love her um her intelligence and her ability to to pass up good shots for great shots but losing Alicia Clark should not be be the difference between being a great passing team and a mediocre passing team you know sure that, I think that's fair I, I think I really like Brianna Stewart's passing game I think she can actually do a little bit more with the ball in her hands um than than folks than folks think and also I think coaching I think coaching because they're gonna get Dan Hughes back uh, of course you know he did have some some influence last season because she he could he uh. I think he, he Zoom coached or, or whatever it is. There, there's, there are a few articles floating around out there that are, are pretty good reads about that. But um, during his, his short term as Seattle Storm head coach so far, Hughes and, of course, his coaching staff have – I've been really impressed with how they've been able to get the most out of their players and, and put them in positions to succeed. And I have to think, like, they gave away so many assets in order to get these seemingly, like, mediocre role players – that they really see a lot in, in, in some of these players and they have a specific plan for them. So I like, I wouldn't be surprised if Samuelson plays the best ball of her career. I wouldn't be surprised if Herbert Harrigan turns into something special. So I think coaching is, is going to be a strength of this team as well. Okay. I like that. Uh, not following, I think is going to be a strength for them. Ball security and then depth three through five, you know, not so much at the guard spots, you know, they really, don't have a ton of different options there, but, you know, from small forward to center, there's a lot of different things they can do there. And I think that that might be helpful as they kind of figure out what's really going to work for them against the best teams. Well, I would say, especially at center, you know, I, I know I said, um, you know, Russell and, and Mag, we were pre 
probably aren't going to both be playing uh, a lot of minutes, but was that they say that the best ability is availability. And if, if we're going through another season where, I mean, God forbid there's going to be as many injuries as there were last year or as many depth problems, but like front court depth should not be a problem at all for the storm team. Cause you can play up, you can play down. You can, you can do all sorts of things with, with these, these players, especially if you're thinking about Herbert Harrigan, you know, potentially turning her into a small forward. If need be, you could be like, I hey, guess what? You're going back to the four and you'd be okay with that. Yeah, and those two players, Russell and Magbiger, played like nearly identical minutes last year. They both played like right at 13 minutes a game. I think there was like a four-minute difference between how many minutes those two played, which is, you know, maybe that opportunity just isn't going to be there because they're not going to have like a Natasha Howard who only played 20 minutes a game last year. You know, maybe they're they're high-end players or or maybe one of those players are are one of those high-end players, but, you know, maybe one of their starters just isn't playing 20 minutes a game and there's, there's not that type of opportunity for minute distribution but for both of those players to really be able to get you know close to 15 minutes a game of experience last year and then of course Russell as you mentioned as a starter the previous season anything else before we move on to weaknesses um I don't think so okay so I had uh, rebounding you know they were 11th in defensive rebounding last year and you know unless they maybe go with Russell as a a center in in the three big lineups um I, I don't really see how they they are you know some great rebounding team now Guard depth, uh, as much as we talked about the forward depth being a strength, I think guard depth might be something to keep an eye on. And then I think the rest of their weaknesses are going to be pretty situational, like depending on kind of what lineups they're they're running out there. Like maybe they'll have a, a player who you'll want to attack defensively. Maybe they'll have a player who you'll want to shade off when you're on defense. So there's nothing from like a roster standpoint that really jumped out weakness-wise, but it's going to really kind of depend on which of these options or lineup combinations they end up leaning with or leaning yeah this towards. is this is a well-balanced roster even though they, they lost a lot of high-end talent in the offseason but this is still a team that i could see finishing top four and honestly i, I could still see them winning a title um they're not gonna be the favorites but it could happen i definitely what, agree what with, do you think would have to happen for them to win a title um well they need to be able to defend vegas particularly in the front court that would be that'd be interesting because i think they could score on vegas but defending Vegas would be a different, a different beast. Because I mean, I'm not sure anybody can really defend Wilson and Kim Beige, But this is the case if you're talking about, you know, playing Stewart at the five. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't really want her guarding Liz Kim Beige, but somebody has to, which is maybe where this front court depth comes in. I don't know. Well, and the other thing about that is like the thing that we've seen, and and this is a different roster. Maybe it'll be different, but I think especially now that you. Vegas has Chelsea Gray playing with these other players around. Right. You you need one of those point guards that can actually guard her. Like if you're you can't put your wing defender on Chelsea Gray against this team and and they don't have Alicia Clark anymore, which obviously if if you wanted to do that you you'd have a pretty good option. So, you know, maybe Sue Bird, you you know, she'll do fine against Kelsey Plum and and you can have kind of Jewel Lloyd guard Chelsea Gray, but the other thing is maybe Chelsea Gray just isn't as good as her name you know, kind of carries anymore as we've seen those kind of playoff declines recently. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think I have Seattle just like a, a half step down from, you know, my kind of group of four contenders, but kind of really diving into them. I am definitely higher on them than I was like before this exercise. Yeah, I you agree. Know, they have those three great players. They have a lot of options that, you know, maybe are just going to work out really well, depending on kind of which way they end up going with. And like we said, in the free agency shows way back when, like I think Dupree can really be a great offensive fit and, you know, just playing with some team, like some 
roster talent that's not, you know, what the Fever had these past three years. She hasn't been in a situation where she's able to succeed in any real way, you know, outside of kind of points, rebounds type numbers. So for her to be able, you know, maybe she'll be more of an impact player than I think we had initially expected when she signed that deal. Yeah, that's that, that's very fair. I, I think maybe this, maybe initially... I was a little too hard on this team for losing what they did. The the trading the number one pick for Samuelson, I'll I'll forever hate that move. I don't I don't care what what ends up happening. I think that was bad process. Results don't good better results don't mean that the process wasn't still bad. I think it was a bad process, but she can still contribute this team this year, and they still have some really really good players. I Brandon Stewart is one of the few players in the league who if she's on a if she's on a basketball team like you can't count them out. So and she's surrounded by some pretty good talent and and has some good coaches as well. So I think I think a top three, top four finish is is should be expected of the storm. Is there like one of those top four kind of expected teams like uh, you know, let let's say Vegas, Chicago, Washington, Minnesota that you like Seattle more than? I would say Washington. For one, I I think um the health of Elena Deladon is, is obviously the biggest factor there. I think they match up decently against Washington now, assuming that Washington is more of a post-oriented offense now with Tina Charles in the fold. And then maybe Minnesota. I'm still not, I'm still not completely sold on Minnesota. Like like Minnesota could be really good. Minnesota Minnesota could be next year. I think that's fair. Okay. Anything else? No, I think uh I, I agree with you. I, I think maybe I was a little low on, on Seattle this past offseason. Granted they they still made some moves that I don't think are were were good, but Maybe we're maybe. It was but you can like hard. dislike the move and still think that they're going to be a pretty good. Team, it, yeah, exactly. I think it, I had a hard time separating at first. Yeah, it, it is a difficult thing to separate, and that's it's it's one of those cases where you kind of need to take a step back and wait, you know, kind of wait wait to see how things shake out, wait to see how things for other teams too, you know, like like I just said, look look what happened with Washington. They weren't able like as of now, Emma Meesman's not on the team. Elena Deladon might not be healthy. That's that wasn't really the, we didn't know that was going to be happen a couple months ago when when the storm were losing all these players so yeah, they lost alicia clark already yeah that's true that's another unfortunately but that's that's what happened so yeah it's it's one of those things where you, you do need to separate you kind of need to take a step back take a few deep breaths and, and see how everything else shakes out not just for the the team in question but for the rest of the league as well and i think the the rest what's happened with the rest of the league should have storm fans feeling okay you know it's 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 not a case where they lose their entire franchise they still have their franchise players that's a plural on purpose. So yeah, I'm expecting excellence again. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe first. That that would be great. Um, That'd be great. But also you can leave a, a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can follow the show on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchak E. You can follow myself at Trinkwald, and we'll be back for another two-episode week when we talk about the Atlanta Dream. Let's go.